You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast. I'm Nate Kading, and this is Real Success. This is the Corridor Media Group podcast, where we explore the life and careers of the Corridor's most influential business leaders. Janet Godwin is the CEO of ACT, the famous nonprofit learning organization founded and located here in Iowa City. ACT serves millions of students, job seekers, employers, and more around the world with learning resources, assessments, and credentials designed to help them succeed beginning in elementary school and throughout their career. I talked to Janet about how she grew from writing test questions with ACT to now serving as CEO, why leaders are only as successful as the teams that surround them, and how her frustration with the pace of change in the education space has helped her realize what truly motivates her. Janet also shares her thoughts on how becoming CEO during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted her and the organization, why a spirit of community philanthropy is part of ACT's DNA, and what her hopes are for the future of the famous ACT test and education systems throughout the nation. I learned a lot, and I think you will too. Stay tuned. This episode of Real Success with Nate Kading is brought to you by Midwest One Bank. Midwest One Bank is the proud partner for doers and entrepreneurs in the corridor and beyond. As an SBA preferred lender, our team is ready to help you reach your business goals. It's empowered money management. It's Midwest One Bank, member FDIC. Thank you, Janet, for taking the time. Um, You know, I think most of us know ACT here in Eastern Iowa for a few different reasons. Obviously, a longtime employer in the in the Iowa City area, born out of the University of Iowa. But you know, folks like myself probably remember it more of like the sweaty palms. You know, when you're like a junior in high school, and you got to go take this test that like is your whole you know college career is going to ride on it. Um, talk a bit about. I mean, you've been with ACT for thirty plus years, and of course now the the CEO and leader of the of the organization. Talk a bit about. Um, you know, what, what, what does ACT do beyond just make us sweat as we're high school kids? Give, give, us, a, give us a rundown of, of, of the organization and, and, and your mission and, and sort of what you guys are working on today beyond just uh, putting tests together. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Thank you, Nate, and thanks for the opportunity to chat this morning. Um, so, yeah, ACT, uh, we are an organization that helps students plan what their what their path is after high school. One of the big ways that we do that is through that Sweaty Palm ACT program. Um, and also, though, we have a uh, number of state and district programs where states or districts administer the ACT or pre-ACT or work keys, other um, programs that we have. And again, the goal is really uh, to help students know where they are, help educators know where students are, so that planning, preparation, uh, whether it's courses, extracurriculars, internships, different kinds of opportunities high school students can pursue, it's to help students be ready for success after high school. And so mostly we're known for that Saturday um, Make You Sweaty test. But we also help students find pathways into community colleges, help students find pathways into credentialing programs, straight into work with our workies programs. And, and that's something I'm really committed to is that we're here to help all students, Nate, not just students who are saying I'm planning a college career, sure. um, but it helps students who don't know and help them figure out what that path is for them. So um, that's what we're about. And uh, I will share, uh, I just got back from a conference in Atlanta where um, 
uh, tutor uh, shared with me letters uh, from a, a high school that she was working with in Eufaula, Alabama, small rural community. And these students had written me personally letters thanking me because the ACT was opening up opportunities for them to get scholarships. That's awesome. One student said, I've got immigrant parents. There's no way I'd be able to pay for college. One student said they're going to have the opportunity to travel outside the state to go to college. Never thought in a million years that would be an opportunity for them. And so we like to say we open up opportunities and help students be successful uh, when they catch and, and, and get those opportunities. Yeah, that's outstanding. And, and ACT is, you know, something that's woven its way into the fabric of education at a bunch of different levels. And we're going to get into that later in the conversation, just around how education itself has, has seen a, a fair amount of innovation and disruption, not only as a cause of uh, obviously the, the COVID pandemic, but just in a variety of other ways. So really want to dive into you know, how you're as a leader helping manage the organization as some external factors are sort of changing, yeah. changing right in front of you. you want to dive into that. But like you mentioned, you, you've had a, a tremendous 30 plus year uh, career just within the ACT organization. But, you know, you were an English major back in back in college. I mean, I'm sure back then you probably never thought, hey, I'll, I'll be, you know, the, the CEO of, uh, you know, of, of this type of organization in this type of field. So, I mean, what what did the the Janet um, back at the University of Iowa or University of Oklahoma? What what was um, your what was your dream? Were you going to be penning novels and and, uh, and those sort of things, or did, did did you not know? Like like most of us. Yeah, no, I didn't know. I started off in college in engineering physics of all things. I was okay. a math and science geek, but when I actually started, this was undergraduate. When I got into it, I realized. I was a little more social than that, and so uh, pivoted into English, which is an odd transition, but uh, it's actually really served me well. But I, I did come here at the University of, Oklahoma, uh, University of Iowa uh, in, the, in the English program. I did have aspirations of being a novelist. It's funny that you should say that. I was just sure I'm, I was going to write the best novel on the planet. I may still. I still have time. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but what's interesting, though, um, uh, when I was leaving graduate school, um, I had a small student loan, but at the time it felt like a giant burden. And so I'm like, I'm gonna go work at ACT for a couple of years, pay off my student loan, and then, uh, you know, follow my path, whatever that might be. I never in a million years imagined that I would fall in love with an organization uh, like ACT. And, and so I was there for a couple of years, paid off my student loan, started getting involved in computer-based testing, got into you know some of the innovation stuff that we were doing at the time, and just fell in love with the people, the mission. I loved working with community colleges. I did a lot of that work for about a decade. Uh, a lot of campus visits and meeting educators and meeting students. And, and I just, you know, we are part of that fabric of education, especially that you know, high school into post-secondary experiences. And um, yeah, here I am 32 years later. It's, it's a little crazy. I never, ever, ever imagined myself in a role like this. Um, but uh, but I, I do take leadership really seriously. And as I kind of got into, you know, higher levels of responsibility, sure. becoming a bit of a student of leadership has become something I've been passionate about as well. That's awesome. And it was that first job at ACT. Was that, were you writing test questions? Yeah. Did it, was it leveraging your, your writing skill? Yeah. What was, yeah. Uh, give us, you know, what yeah. was our favorite question that you wrote or the, the first one or like, well, do you have one framed on in your office right now? I don't have anything framed. That's funny, but um, we could probably go back into our item bank and find those stuff that I, <laughs> you offered, but I, didn't yeah. know. I started writing questions for the ACT and reading in English and we had an amazing editor, Dan Campion. I first unit of material came back and the page was covered in blue. We used blue editor pencil and 
Um, but it was a great training ground, and um, and uh, again, just really appreciated the opportunity. Were you wired in a way early on in your professional career where you were sort of driven to kind of continue to advance and move forward within the organization? Like, was was the business side of it something that you were you became interested in, and you were driven to kind of hey, I'm, I'm in this role, and, mm-hmm. and I want to be. A, you know, did you have it kind of mapped out, or was it sort of something that you just kind of yeah. kind of went into? It, well, so it became clear to me early on I was fairly ambitious okay. and that I would, every opportunity that would come up, I would just really go after it. And so from those early days in test development, I mentioned I went to work for our first computer-based testing program. From there, I went in my way into research, which was a great experience. And then an opportunity opened in IT technology and went over there and started working on, you know, developing big, you know, systems. And from there, I went into operations and you know, um, I think that's been one of my learnings throughout my career is just like seize an opportunity, do everything you can to prepare yourself, build strengths, build capabilities, you know, build, you know, your experiences, but be open to what comes next. So I, I, so it wasn't a completely, I did not have a linear path by any means. Um, but I was open to every opportunity that came my way and, uh, leaned in, made me nervous, you know, pushing myself beyond what I, you know, really knew how to do, but learning, that's the best thing. I mean, just constantly getting better and building out your portfolio and, 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 and learning those leadership skills along the way too. So yeah, no, definitely not linear. <laughs> Was there a big project either early on or sort of in the middle part of your career that you felt or, or in a project that you accomplished or an accomplishment that really kind of propelled you forward through your career? Was there, you mentioned kind of getting outside of your comfort zone and taking something new on. Was there sort of some, some tasks you raised your hand within the organization and that really turned heads or really gave you the confidence to keep, keep pushing forward? Yeah, no, well, there's a, there's one, I actually did leave ACT for about a year. I call it my sabbatical. I gotten frustrated with pace of change. Like, you know, yeah. we're sort of an education type institution and the wheels move slowly sure. and I was frustrated and I'm doing something better. And I went to work for a small for-profit uh, it was another educational technology company in the assessment space. And um, I was the product manager, traveled a ton, meeting with customers, which I loved, over, kind of managed the roadmap for the technology team in the UK. So I got to travel to meet with that group. Um, but it was transformational for me because I missed the mission. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's those quarterly earnings. I mean, it's fine. I get it. You know, you got to operate like a business, but the motivation and mindset was really different, Nate. And mm-hmm. so... Uh, I had maintained relationships with folks at ACT, and when I just said, you know, this, I, I liked what I did, but the motivation wasn't there for me, and so it helped me understand that, you know, understanding what makes me tick is doing good, yeah. and yeah. I needed to work in an environment where that was, you know, why we get up every day, and ACT is an organization like that. We Every team member believes so strongly in the mission, and uh, I mean, it honestly gets us through every day. It gets us up. It gets us excited. Like that student who, uh, the letter from Eufaula High School in, in rural Alabama. I mean, that's why we get up is to help create those opportunities. And um, and so that was pivotal for me. Uh, it's not really a, a project, but it was a, a moment that sort of, I guess, defined what my path was going to be going forward. And um, and I and I guess I would say if there's one project that I feel especially proud of, it's this last two years helping the organization navigate some tur- turbulent times. And um, that's the sitting here talking to you two years after moving into the CEO role. Yeah, what, what timing there, huh? <laughs> 
I mean, like, let's dump it, jump into the deep end, yeah. you know, trial by fire. And if, and, I, and if I had to say there's one project that I'm most proud of, it's that I'm sitting here talking to you today, two years later as the CEO of ACT, meaning we're around, we're open for business, yeah. we're doing a really good job, we're as strong as we've ever been. And, and But it was it was a little dicey a couple of years ago. So I'm actually really proud of how we've navigated um, these last couple of years. Yeah, and you'd mentioned, you know, you came in as the, the COO in 2014, and you had mentioned, you know, you became sort of a student of leadership training and management. How would you define sort of the the anchors or pillars of your leadership um, strategy and approach? And, how, and how, how have you built those over time? Yeah, no, I learned fairly early on uh, in I mean, levels of responsibility that there's absolutely no way, you know, any leader can make all the right decisions themselves. You just don't know enough. Um, and so this notion of servant leadership, you know, building a team of experts around you with a culture that is cohesive with defined leadership behaviors that you're cultivating and, um, and, and listening to the people closest to the work, I think, um, and, 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 working with a high degree of care and compassion. You know, we are all, our, all of our organizations are full of human beings who have best intentions, who want to do good work, and they're they're knowledgeable, and we need to listen and create the kinds of structures for communication and getting those ideas into the, into the way of working. And so, um, you know, servant leadership is probably the, the, the headline, but it's also, um, I mean, it's having a high degree of integrity, it's having a high degree of humility, uh, it's understanding, um, you know, culture is probably the most important thing uh, in terms of, of defining leadership. And so um, made a lot of mistakes. I had some scars to, you know, um, that helped me solidify some of those learnings. But um, uh, it's um, those are those are some of the things that, that matter from a leadership standpoint to me. Did you have a model or mentor or, who you know, whether people or persons or? Yeah, no, it's great. We we did a big. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with like agile, you know, yeah. software development frameworks, right? So we implemented an agile framework. Uh, gosh, probably like seven years ago now. Um, it was when I was in the COO. It was a big initiative that I had. Uh, we had a group called the Transformation Office, and we we're leading change in how we were developing software. And we adopted an agile framework. It's all about servant leadership. It's um, listening to the folks closest to the work. It's making sure your strategy and North Star are really carefully defined, setting up strategic intent, not a not a recipe for people to follow, but an intent that we're going to go that direction and accomplish these kinds of goals. And then using that framework with some kind of structured planning activities to let the people closest to the work make the decisions around how to get there. Yep. And um, and some some of the hardest lessons I've learned is to come in and the team's doing all this great planning. They come back to me and say, you know what, Janet, you wanted us to get to this point by that period of time and it's not going to work. And I had a autocratic moment where I'm like, go back and replan and that can't be right. I know it's possible. <laughs> and it was horrible. I look back at that and, re- I, and I'm just... I cringe that I said these things in front of really, really trusted team members, but it taught me a lesson because they were right. I was dead wrong. And they screwed up the courage to go back and replan and came back to me the next day. And I could see that they were all worried about it. And they sent the first poor person up to like, tell me the bad news that we can't actually get there. (laughs) And, and I'm like, you guys, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I wasted your time to make you go back and replan because you came up with the same answer. And, um, 
So we just will take another six months to get there and it's, it's all good. And, you know, as leaders, we just don't have all the information. We have to put people with talent and skills and this kind of structures in place that they can do their best work. Um, what my main job is, is to create that strategic intent. This is where we're going and why, yep. why it's so important. And then let the smart people in the organization figure out how to get there. And you had mentioned the challenges that came from navigating through, you know, both the pandemic and some of the, you know, the other kind of uh, ground shifting underneath, you know, the, the education scenario has been a lot of talk in the news about um, standardized testing and its role yep. in the, in the college process. Talk a, b- a bit about some specific uh, leadership moments or challenges for you through the course of, of, of those external factors over the course of the last two years as you've been CEO. Yeah, really great question. Um, so when I first moved into the role, it was sort of like the Maslow's hierarchy. I mean, we had to take care of basics, right? We got to, had to take care of our team members. We had to just and 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 external stakeholders and customers who are going through in, in personal, you know, school based, family based. I mean, all kinds. The world was disrupted, as you all know. Um, so basic needs stabilize, uh, which we did, which then gave us a little bit of space to lean in on these headwinds around test optional, you know, tests are racist, bias, terrible, you know, barriers to to entry. And um, what it led me to do with the rest of the ACT leadership team is to really go back to our core. Why do we exist? Why did we even get formed back in 1959? And it was not to be barriers. Nothing could be further from the truth. Our founding, EF Lindquist from the University of Iowa, our founding was to open doors by leveling the playing field to create opportunities for all students to demonstrate what they've accomplished to help them find a a post-secondary experience that's going to help them be successful. It wasn't to be just used by the elite schools, getting the cream of the crop, you know, skimming off the top. We were to open doors. We We were to create opportunities and level the playing field and so we doubled down back on our founding mission mm-hmm. and started crafting how do we talk about ourselves i was never once and, and still to this day i'm not defensive about test optional this is education higher education is evolving and changing and that's fantastic i want to take i don't want people with sweaty palms yeah. i don't like that <laughs> we need to take the stakes out of it we need to make it more of a, a process where students can demonstrate to themselves and their families like i'm ready for this next step it's not necessarily to prove to a college they're ready it's to prove to themselves give them the confidence and the agency and the I'll go back to the word confidence that if I'm going to embark on a four-year college experience and pay this kind of money, whether it's through student loans or tuition, you know, like I'm ready to be successful. That's important. We do lots of surveys with parents and that's the number one thing parents are worried about right now is affordability. Mm -hmm. Every, every parent wants their students to have those experiences, but they also want to know they're they're going to be successful and not drop out halfway through, which happens to 50% of students that go to college. Right. So, um, so um, we've had to really lean in on our, our kind of founding mission. We're here to help. We're here to assist, not just assess. Am I ready? If, if, if this is my goal, these are the kinds of experiences that you should be that taking in high school to help you get there and then providing great services to educators who are supporting students um, on that pathway as well. So we've done a lot of that. I was just speaking at a national college admissions officers meeting earlier this week. And that's what we talked about. And um, they're all there too. It's, in, it's, it's Scores are more information to help a student feel that confidence. It's more information for a college to understand 
how they can best support a student for that student success on their campus. It's not to be a barrier. It's not to be an exit or a no. Um, it's more information to help students be successful. And so it's not an existential crisis for us, the, the test optional headwinds. It's just not. Um, uh, we need to, though, help uh, continue to evolve and innovate and grow and, and, and be part of the change in higher education. Yeah, and it's, it's about that. It sounds like that adaptability, which seems to be a, a bit more of a buzzword these days out in business yeah. as, as we are yeah. moving out of a super cycle, you know, in the economy to, you know, if, if not in a recession, but certainly one on the doorstep here and, and, and yeah. businesses need to adapt. They need to change either their own practices right. and cost structures or, or their, their market, you know, product market fit, you name it. I mean, as there's, that's going to be a key hallmark of successful businesses here. And as we move into this new cycle is how, how well they can adapt to external changes. Talk a bit about as a leader, how do you bring the rest of your management team and then everyone else along, along for the ride on that? Like, Hey, we, you know, not only, you know, we got to change for change sake, but we got to change for the sake of, of, you know, of relevancy and some, if not sometimes survival and those sort of things. I mean, how yeah. do you, how do you frame that? Is it the carrot and stick or is it, you know, one or the other? Is it, is there an art and science to, to help and manage a company uh, through a, a period of uh, needing to adapt? Yeah, definitely art and science. There's no playbook for this. Um, and so uh, start with the why. Uh, and that compelling vision and strategy, yeah. Nate. This is why we exist. Uh, student and those students in rural Alabama. This is you know we're helping them open their doors for opportunity, and we're helping educators uh, help their students. So why, why, why? Start with the why, and then once you've got that compelling vision and with kind of like this is what we believe we can accomplish, then you start putting it into strategic terms. And again, you tell the story. It's rinse and repeat. You, you find multiple ways of engaging team members, whether it's through leaders, whether it's through all hands meetings, whether it's by bringing customers in and hearing it directly from their voices of the impact that we're making and having, but then being very structured. Um, okay, this is where we're going and why people get it. They feel it. They're motivated by it, but you've got to put the business structures and strategies in place to actually execute on that. That's probably the hardest part right. is to, to get that alignment and people working on the on the stuff that's going to move the needle. And so, man, you know, strategy documents, breaking it down into these are into you know three-year budgets, and these are the initiatives that we're going to kick off. These are our investment plans. These are some of the, the cost structure changes that we have to make along the way so that we can afford. Uh, and be sustainable financially while we're moving towards sure. that uh, bigger vision that we're trying to accomplish. And so it takes enormous uh, planning, but but structure and communication. That's probably something else I've learned uh, uh, throughout my career is that there's no way to over communicate. It's impossible. Multiple forms, venues, um, it, it, and as a CEO, you'd think uh, most of my time would be, I don't know what you think it'd be on, like looking at financials and stuff like that. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of numbers but probably 50% of my time is figuring out how to communicate effectively with people and getting them to, to getting to the point where they can be successful in their roles because they understand what, what they need to do and why. And so, um, so I don't know if that answers your question. No, that's not, great. That, that's the stuff that uh, I focus on a ton. I know another big part of your story personally and professionally. So you, you've been a great, um, leader within the Iowa, greater Iowa City community as well. I mean, was that always something that was part of your DNA? I mean, you were part of the, the Iowa City School Board, the Iowa City School Foundation. You're on the Midwest One Bank Board, um, Community Foundation, all these other elements. And I know especially the school board, that's that's no light lift, right? I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of time and energy and bandwidth that needs to be dedicated 
to that thankless role um, along the way too. I mean, what what is it as part of that that's driven you to to be involved in the community beyond just you know leading one of the largest employers in the area as well? I mean, that that in and of itself would would fill most people's buckets. Yeah, I know it's funny. I just um, I just care a lot, and I kind of that vision of BCT, our mission of helping you know open doors, level the playing field. There's so many parts of our society that that need that sort of mindset and care. And I've benefited a lot from people helping me, supporting me in the community. And it's just a wanting to give back, Nate. And you know where we live, actually, you know, part of it is too. Sometimes we are we're na- an international organization, and right. so you know, I, I pay a heck of a lot of attention to the politics in Egypt, for example. Um, but but what gets daunting sometimes when you got all this big international national dialogue and debate and how do we make things happen and change happen and so you know we can actually make change happen locally when we're working with our local organizations yeah. like one another great you know cultural you know factor here in in iowa city but the school board and and other other um the, the community uh, johnson county foundation i mean there's so many groups that we can actually make good things happen for our own community and our families and businesses here. It's hard to control stuff at a national level, but we can actually make a difference locally. And so that's why leaning in on the community side has meant a lot to me, and especially school board. um, That was, uh, that's easy, right? Going, making some boundary changes with the, with the local school boards, those big world problems are just something really easy. Let's just go change some boundaries. That that won't, that won't get anybody fired up. (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, we got people a little fired up, but it was because we had that vision of what we were trying to do. And yep. I spent probably uh, three months trying to get, convince people to run for school board because I, I knew it mattered. And finally, I'm like, okay, you better just do it yourself. And it's been, a, it was an amazing experience. I miss it. I mean, getting that close to teachers and principals and administrators yeah. and families and students. And it was, a, it was an amazing experience and it's helping me, you know, be a better leader at ACT. That's for sure. Absolutely. And I mean, not only obviously your work on the school board, but of course with ACT, you're really on the, the front line of education and have a great pulse on the needs, you know, K, K through 12, you know, certainly secondary ed and, and higher education. What, I don't want to frame it. I mean, there's a lot of media around, you know, what's broken and what need, you know, where things are going wrong and those sort of things. But what is the biggest opportunity um, to, dr- to move the needle to have a successful education system in the United States, or even maybe even more hyper-local in Eastern Iowa, Iowa City, Cedar Rapids. Like where's the, if we could invest, you know, this sort of input to get this sort of result over the course of the next five to 10 years, where do you see the biggest opportunity to improve education? Yeah, it's a really, really good question and, and a hard one. And, and uh, there's been a lot of much smarter people trying to put their heads around this than me. But my thought is, kind of back to this local piece of it. Um, if we can find a way to find in a region alignment between employers and the kinds of jobs and skills they're gonna be looking for in their in their um, businesses so that we can retain business talent in a region or a community or attract business talent. So engage the, the employers, then engage um, you know, the, the local post-secondary institutions, whether it's community colleges or four-year schools and ensure that the the educational programming is building the skills, the credentials, the degrees, whatever that are necessary for these jobs. Starting K-12, make sure that we're building students and developing students who are ready for those post-secondary experiences to get them ready for work in their their economy and their local region, and then bring in organizations, you know, economic development groups, uh, chambers of commerce. I, I mean, 
that's the hardest thing is to get all of those different stakeholders working together to create pathways, like real pathways that kids can see. Like Mm -hmm. if I do these things and do them at this level of accomplishment, I can get a job. Right. And so it's not such a mystery. And some paths are going to take students through graduate school, professional certifications, all that stuff. Some, I mean, I've talked to local employers where they say two thirds of my workforce I don't need college degrees. I need a high school degree with some indication of reading and math skills so that when they come on to my workforce, I know they're ready to be trained in the specifics of my of my jobs. And so when you can start building education into that concept of economic development, then then you're building a sustainable system where there's benefits for everybody. Right. That's it feels like today we're at odds with who's getting the benefit and the value, but if we can work together in that kind of systemic way, then we can build something that 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 uh, becomes this flywheel of just goodness in a region. So kind of back to that local concept, I think there's something there. And then at the national level, just you know, this one's much harder. Um, but how do you bring together the Department of Ed, the Department of Labor, you know, workforce development agencies, education, you know, uh, policymakers? So elected officials need to get in the mix. I mean, there's so many. That's why it gets daunting at the national level. Yeah. But there's a heck of a lot we can do at our local, regional level, Nate, that will make a difference for all those institutions and people that I was talking about. Yeah, that's. Absolutely. Some, some big stuff, some big challenges uh, ahead, but, you know, great, great opportunities to keep pushing it. I mean, especially here yeah. in, in Eastern Iowa, and especially the corridor, we've got such a, a tremendous concentration of um, leaders in, in, in ed tech and uh, secondary yeah. K through 12, great legacy uh, schools. And you, then, you, of course, you throw in on top of that every, all of, you know, the, the Coke Colleges, Mount Mercy's, Kirkwood's, yeah. University of Iowa, yeah. all of those. I mean, if, if anybody can lead and innovate in that, in that way, it's, it's certainly us here in the corridor, no doubt about it. What, I want to talk real quick before we wrap up just about kind of your approach to, um, you know, corporate philanthropy and, and, a, and a company's role within the, within the community, not necessarily philanthropy, but just sort of as an economic development engine. I know ACT and, you know, under Dick Ferguson's leadership and now yours have always been very involved in, in economic development within the community. I mean, the obvious piece of that is, you know, you guys are large employers, always have been in Johnson County. Um, but how, how do you approach that? How do you approach the um, asset asset allocation, both of your money and as you, the time of people within the organization and encouraging them to get involved and, but also balancing that obviously with needing to produce your own work and accomplish your own um, organization's goals. How do you, I mean, is that something that's very explicit within your organization or is that something um, that kind of, you just kind of fall to where the needs are at and make it a priority. Talk a bit about your, your approach to your, ACT's involvement within the community? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And and we do consider that to be part of our DNA. And um, so we do every year budget certain, you know, amount of funds to go to philanthropic or um, community-based needs or large giving, depending on um, organizations uh, coming to us for, for, for gifts. Um, And so we we budget every year. We do prioritize organizations that are, um, have a, have an education focus. So, I mean, we've historically been large givers to the Iowa City Schools um, through the foundation. We've um, been a strong supporter of the United Way. They've had a strong education component in their um, strategic plan for many, many, many years. Um, but then also other organizations we focus on who are providing supports to learners and families. So, um, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, I could, you know, domestic violence intervention programming, I can go through the list, like these agencies that 
help people have the time and space and security to learn well. And, yep. uh, and, and so uh, that kind of focus, you know, on, on, on groups like that. So, um, and, and we are a national organization, our largest po- uh, employee population base is in Johnson County, but we have folks who live all around the country. And so we have opportunities for them through a, uh, a process, our community giving process, people submit a grant request. And, and so we've got folks who sit on that committee who are from all over the country and they make local gifts as well. So it does be probably more concentrated in Johnson County in the corridor, but we do have a national presence um, for the kinds of philanthropic uh, things that we do. And we, we also have, um, we encourage uh, community volunteerism. We have, you know, give people time off to go, you know, um, go help build a house, you know, that's uh, Habitat for Humanity. And, and those are great team building exercises too um, for folks. So we're real proud of our, of our continued opportunity to support the community. The United Way just named us the uh, community, uh, the organization of the year. I forget the exact title, but it's awesome. I was so, so proud of that this year, especially coming out of the turbulent last couple yeah. of years to continue to maintain that level of giving to the United Way felt really, really good to me. And um, so, yeah, I, I'd say it's pretty much, we've got, it's part of our DNA and we've got structures and budgets that we put in place every year to support that. That's great. One last personal question about, your career before we wrap things up, are you, I mean, most people look at, you know, Janet Godwin and she's had this amazing career at ACT and now, you know, for lack of better analogy, you're at the top of the mountain, right? You're the, you're the, you're the CEO, you've arrived, you know, um, is that how you view it? And obviously that, you know, the, the real work is there and the big impact can happen as leading an organization. Is this sort of the final destination for your personal career? Um, is this the last chapter? And how do you how do you approach that personally and professionally after having been so driven to continue to, um, you know, move forward and, and progress in your career? Uh, you know, are there more more challenges that lie ahead? I'm not necessarily saying a different role, but like, how do you once you've gotten there? You know, how do, how do you personally sort of uh, process that and then sort of flip your flip your approach to you know now the big impact happens. Talk talk yeah, a bit about how you how you process that. You know, now now that you've been in the role of, of CEO for the last couple of years. Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, it's taken me, I'm, I feel like I'm finally now just settling into the role, to be honest. The first two years, first year especially, was just, again, Maslow's hierarchy. We had to take care of basic needs. And now that that's all good and we're looking now strategy, you know, how can we have a bigger impact going forward and, and things like that, it's it's helping me see my role now as uh, more, you know, thought leadership out in the industry, um, working with, you know, different you know, departments of, of in, 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 in governments and, and other third parties whose mission is to, you know, move education forward. So I'm seeing that I'm able now to have more time to spend on that larger shaping, shaping the education system through thought leadership and convenings and things like that. And that's actually really exciting for me personally, professionally, uh, to engage at the, that level of conversation. Um, and so, you know, from a from an ACT standpoint, that's really important for us. And what our next two to five years looks like is really figuring out our role in that as the as sure. things need to get more adaptable. So we've got a we've got a you know I've got I'm very excited about the next few years at ACT. So I'm not going anywhere uh, soon. But um, but like longer term, uh, I can't sit still. I mean, the <laughs> idea of hiring. I mean, I can't imagine that I novel. Mean, that novel still out there waiting for you. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah, you're right about that. But but um, it's uh, it, I'm a very very busy person, and so you know whatever comes after ACT, there'll be a level of engagement that is sure. 
intellectually challenging, working on hard problems in the education area that we need to still solve for. And, um, you know, I don't know what that looks like yet, but um, it'll it'll be something like that. There's just I, I just don't see myself going and, you know, uh, retiring and, you know, yeah, just ride my bike or whatever, hiking. Sure. I love to hike. I mean, I love all those things, but I just can't do that full time. So what, I mean, some people listening and, you know, assumedly a decent chunk of folks out there in business careers, they might have it on their 5, 10, 15, 20 year goal is to one day become the CEO. Now that you're there, what's been the biggest surprise to you or kind of thing? Hey, I didn't, I didn't know this was part of the gig <laughs> once you've actually gotten in that seat. Well, uh, working with the board directly was one big learning. I mean, I've been going to board meetings for 10, 12 years, but if you're aspiring to a CEO role, build some experiences on boards, I would say is the first thing, because that is a big part of the job. Sure. Whether you're publicly traded for profit, not for profit like ACT, it's huge. Um, and that's uh, number one. I think number two is be humble. Don't pretend you have all the answers. Put your ego at the door. Step in and listen to your team. Yep. Um, don't be afraid to challenge yourself. If you're if you're a little anxious, that's probably a good thing. That means you're pushing yourself to learn more. Um, and find the best possible talent. And again, don't let your ego get in the way of that either. Um, and so it's it's you know <laughs> figure out how to work with your board very very effectively. Be humble. Always learn. Challenge yourself. Yeah, that's great. Uh, well, we like to wrap up these interviews with just a few kind of quick, quick fire questions here. Um, if given the chance, what profession other than CEO of ACT would you most like to attempt? If you had some sort of like a parallel life that you were living and you could just di dive into something novelist. else. There you go. I, think I want to write books, man. <laughs> All roads are leading back to this novelist gig, Janet. I like it. <laughs> what, what's, what's the book? I mean, uh, you got, I mean, there's gotta be something in the back here. Is it fiction, nonfiction? Oh, what's the... It's fiction. It's definitely fiction. I mean, the best book for me on the planet ever was 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. If you haven't read it, Magical Realism, it will blow your mind. It's amazing. It's really good. It's awesome. Well, this 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 uh, goes into the uh, my next question perfectly, but let's moving off of the fiction into nonfiction. Is there a, a book that's had a, a huge influence or impact on your career or your approach to leadership? Anything that you would recommend to folks? Um, I mean, there's a couple obvious ones that, I mean, the speed of trust was a really good one for me, uh, probably 15 years ago, just because, you know, trust when we talk about culture is so incredibly important. And when you have a culture of trust, you can go fast. You don't have to question, you don't want little sidebars of people trying to, you know, undermine a decision or whatever, like you're all in and if you can get that level of trust. Um, it's, it's powerful. It changes an organization. It's great. Uh, how about podcasts or TV shows or anything? Are you, uh, are you an avid, uh, podcaster? Anything that you're listening I, to I, or watching? Well, I'm not, I'm not a huge podcaster and I'm almost embarrassed to admit the one that I'm listening to now, crime junkies. It's, it's not, <laughs> it's not at all educational, but it is cold case stuff. That's actually really fascinating. Stuff's so, addicting. Absolutely. So I'm embar a little embarrassed by that. Uh, well, now that you're back flying, you know, in the, traveling around the, the country and the world and your, yeah. in your role, you got to have something to unwind with on the airplane. Uh, you know, that's right. That's exactly right. And then, you know, um, I'm reading a book right now, Lincoln on the verge. Um, it's really, it's about Lincoln um, the, moving, uh, traveling to Washington DC to take on his role as president. Right. And I mean, it's just fascinating. And there's a lot of parallels 
with what we've been going through and you know January the, the transition the last presidential transition and it's just a great it's greatly written and a great uh just historical reflection on on our nation like some of what we're experiencing right now isn't brand new like we should have that perspective we've been through this before sure this is sort of a question about designing like a successful or happy day you know if there's one thing one habit one routine that if you were to would you characterize as the most important element or ingredient for a successful day for you. And if you had, if that got taken away, you, it would kind of throw everything off a bit. Is there anything that comes to mind there? Yeah. Uh, I, I have to have a good hour and a half of quiet in the morning. So, I mean, just, I, I get up really early, get my coffee and that was my head is clear. I can think I can be organized. I can write something if I need to before the jumble of the day and conversations and meetings and all that stuff starts um, if you took that away from me, that 90 minutes in the morning of, of quiet, focused time, there's no way I could be as effective as I, as I try to be. Yeah, I gotta have that time to get organized. That's great. Are you are you writing then, or journaling, or meditating, or what? What usually goes into it's, that 90 minutes? It's, it's a whole bunch of different things. Depends on what's priority of the day. Sometimes it's journaling. Sometimes it's um, more kind of mindfulness. Sometimes it's writing memos to people, emails. I'm I'm famous for the 5 a.m. Janet Goblin email. You know, <laughs> get stuff organized, but it's, it, I just have a clarity early in the morning um, for whatever is needed that day that, that helps me. The other thing, I mean, if I could say a second thing is, is yoga. I mean, like, I, I mean, I try to go five days a week, physical, That's it's great. also um, mindfulness and just, I, I mean, I put it on my schedule. I, and so no one can schedule over it. So it's really important. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then how about 30 extra minutes? Someone just gifted you, which, you know, someone is, as busy and, um, you know, productive as you are, is that if you had it 30 extra minutes in a day, what would you do with it? I would be reading a book, a physical book, nice. not on a device. I'd be laying on the couch on my back with a book up over my head or something like that. Like that physical book, I have them stacked all around. I had, had rarely get a chance to, to dig into them. So that's what I would do. Read a book. Awesome. And then last question here uh, in one sentence, how do you define success? Um, I would say success is clarity, flow, balance, and outcomes. Love it. Perfect. Well, thank you, Janet, so much for taking the, the time out of your schedule to chat with us. This has been awesome. Um, appreciate everything that, that you do here in the community, as well as your leadership with ACT, and uh, look forward to catching yeah. up again here soon. Thank you. Th- thank you, Nate. This was really a lot of fun. Appreciate it. It was a fun opportunity. My thanks to Janet Godwin for coming onto the show to talk about her real success. If you'd like to learn more about ACT and what they have to offer, visit ACT.org. I'd also like to thank this podcast sponsor, Midwest One Bank. Experience simply better banking at MidwestOne.Bank. And this podcast is produced by the great folks over at LAS Media Group, located in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. For more information, visit LASmediagroup.com. And if you enjoy this show, please consider subscribing and reviewing on your podcast platform of choice. It helps us continue to develop and grow. Real Success with Nate Kading is a Corridor Media Group podcast. For more information, visit CorridorBusiness.com.